Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. In our sermon series, Walk in the Light, we are going through the first epistle of John and challenging one another to focus on Jesus. Today's speaker is Senior Minister Dee Dee Bacon. That line, that line, that line just gets me. And it sounds like it gets you too. You didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus brought heaven down. My sin was great. Your love was greater. What could separate us now? Last week, Tim talked about 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, where it says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. The light of God enters into our lives through faith in Jesus. Jesus is God's message of love to you and to me. We don't create the light. We're not flashlights or torches. No, we are recipients of the light, called to be reflectors, mirrors of the light, called to be prisms where the light comes in and we share it with the world. So last week, Shannon and I um, got to visit a part of the country that we've never visited before, spent the week up in upstate New York. When I looked down on the uh, amount of miles I'd put on on the trip, it was almost 2,000 miles by the time I got home, 1,900 and something. A lot of driving. Beautiful part of the country. Didn't know it existed. You have the, the Finger Lakes. You've got St. Lawrence River and Lake Ontario. We got to do a boat tour of that whole place. Didn't realize that the, the term, the Thousand Islands, that we, we have on our dressing, that refers to that part of the country. And in fact, Thousand Islands salad dressing was created up there. There are more than a thousand islands, apparently. There's 1,864 or so, and each of those islands are owned, a lot of them are owned by folks, just kind of like owning a house, and they have what they, this is the language they use, we have our summer camp up there. Now, if this is summer camp, these people don't know what summer camp is, because these are like mansions with like 14 bedrooms and massive places that they have there. A couple of castles actually built on islands that we got to do a tour of. Now, the reason we're up there is because we went to uh, drop off my youngest son. He's playing baseball up there in a collegiate baseball league for uh, June and July. Won't be home until early August. And so it was a fun time for Shannon and I. We, we got to go to Canada, one of her life dreams. Uh, we were right there by Alexandra Bay, so we went across the border. So we said, hey, to the, uh, I went A to the Canadian border guy. What up, A? And then uh, we took a ride quickly, went into Rockport, Canada, bought a magnet, because Shannon connects magnets, and then we just drove right back. Because I'm not staying in Canada too long, you know. Of course, we had to visit Cooperstown. That was fun. Cooperstown with a baseball hall of fame. Beautiful country out there. Beautiful. 
On our way back from Cooperstown, we went through some rural areas and came to a little town called Little Falls, New York, where Andrew and his team were playing their very first game of the season. Little Falls, New York, a small town. And really, the reality is, is it hit me. Small-town America is very much alive and well. It was a great atmosphere. Uh, these little baseball teams provide just the summer entertainment for these towns, kids running all over the place, doing the fun little games. And if you've ever been to a minor league ballpark, it was very similar to that. You know, have a corny announcer over the loudspeaker. Oh, that's Jimmy John, and he shouldn't do that, blah, blah, blah. So it was fun. And just the setting, it was just beautiful. And I think the little town is on, on the Erie Canal, so there's this river, and, and there's these mountains, these hills right behind us. And so, you know, baseball has been called a beautiful game because if you, you just sit there and it's green and it's beautiful and just the symmetry of, of the ballpark and everything there. And, and so there was these, these hills and mountains and I was just sitting there like, wow, this is just fantastic. Rain clouds were coming along and they avoided us because they were out in the distance. But as the sun was setting, the rain clouds were there in the mountains. And, and guess what happened when, when the sun was shining from, you know, in the sunset and it shone on the clouds, all of a sudden formed there the rainbow. God's gift, a promise that he will never, never flood the world again. And I just love rainbows. I love, love, love rainbows. It was just, just a beautiful setting, sitting there, ball game, mountains, rainbow, clouds, all the different colors. It was truly a fantastic moment. You know, I've been fascinated with rainbows, like I said, for a long time. And come to find out, rainbows are attributed to a scientific phenomenon called light refraction. Got droplets in the air. Light from the sun hits the droplets at a certain angle, and it creates the rainbow through something called refraction. In other words, the white light going into the droplets, droplets act like a prism, and they split out the light that's contained in the white light, the full spectrum of colors split out into the rainbow, right? The red and the orange and the yellow and the green and the blue and the indigo and the violet. And it's cool to think about the fact that white light is really comprised of all these other lights into one. That's what white light is. And when it's shone through a, a prism, it's split out into the various parts. And so the white light is transformed into the beauty of the rainbow by this process called refraction. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to have this concept in your brains. I want you to remember this concept, particularly as we, we go through our conversation regarding the scripture of today from 1 John chapter 2. I want you to remember this idea of white light being split up through a prism into the various beautiful colors of the rainbow. 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to set the context for First John chapter 2. It's written by the Apostle John. Apostle John was one of the original 12 apostles selected by Jesus to be trained up and then released to establish his church. John was one of the 12, but he was also a member of the three, the three who were singled out to be particularly close to Jesus, his, his good buddies, his closest friends. And in fact, some indications are that John was... Jesus' best friend, the apostle who was closest to him. 
And at the time of writing, the the church is well established. The the church has grown to various parts of the Roman Empire. Uh, People have been Christians for a long time. And John has has moved to make his base of operations. He's come now to live in the town of, uh, city of Ephesus, which is a, a central location to the many churches in the area called Asia Minor. And and John now, probably the last living apostle for the rest have been martyred, have been executed, have have died because of their faith. Now John is the last representative of the twelve who is continuing on the ministry of establishing the church as Jesus intended. And so John writes letters of instruction. We have... 1 John and 2 John and 3 John. We've got what we call the Gospel of John. is John's uh, recounting of the life of Jesus from that very personal and intimate point of view. And then he writes also Revelation, which is a letter written to the churches to encourage them as they face the threat of persecution from the Roman government, from the authorities that were in charge and in power. Now, he writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John to address a specific threat to the church that wasn't necessarily from the same threat that came from the Roman government. No, he writes regarding a threat that comes from within. It's a threat regarding false teaching and false teachers. Addresses an issue that was about to undermine the work of the church and and create problems for the establishment of the way God intended the church of Jesus to be done. He, He writes to address this. And... The teaching, we kind of can pick up a little bit of what it is. In fact, we, we kind of see this teaching as the basis of a false doctrine that becomes known as Gnosticism that the church has to deal with in the second, third, fourth century. But this teaching is really a combination of Greek philosophy married into Christian theology. And one of the tenets of this teaching is that says that everything that's physical, material, everything of this earth is of the devil and evil. And everything that's of God is in the spiritual realm. And so they have this this demarcation between everything that's spiritual is good and unable to be corrupted by the world and everything that's material, everything that's physical, should be considered of the devil. And the way they applied this philosophy in their Christianity is that they basically came to the point that said, if you are in the right place with God, if God is, your spirit is, is right with God, then there's nothing you can do physically that will affect that purity. And the practical application of this is basically, as a Christian, there's nothing you can do physically that will jeopardize your status spiritually, because if you have the right knowledge, if you're right with God with the, in the right way, you're spiritual, then you don't have to worry about it. In other words, they were saying Christians can stumble in sin. In fact, they said that Jesus wasn't physical because of that, and they said that, you know, to be born again was all spiritual and had nothing to do with your body, so you could live like you want if you're right with God and say, I don't sin because I'm spiritually pure. And so throughout John's letter, you'll see him addressing this issue about, hey, if you say you don't sin, you're a liar, Uh, you know, this is how we deal with the fact that we will stumble in our walk with God. This is how we, you know, walk in grace uh, after our time of coming right with God through faith. But you'll pick that up. And and if you give your attention to to the scripture that we're looking at right now, 1 John chapter 2 verse 1, you'll see it right off the bat. He says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. 
But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Okay, let's go through this again. Keep in mind this picture that I've, 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 I've laid out before you of the light shining on the prism and being split into the red and to the orange and the yellow and the green and the blue and the indigo and violet. John addresses the false doctrine right there where people live. And he says, don't buy into this teaching that says that we don't sin if, because we're spiritual. Don't buy into that. That is the result of this dualism. He says, the reality is, is that if we claim to be without sin so we can do whatever we want, that's the justification, I'm right with God so I can do whatever I want, then you are sinning. So don't say you don't sin. Don't say you won't stumble and struggle because that is sinning in of itself. That's lying. But he says, what God has done is provided us grace that runs not just to deal with our past, but grace that runs forward. And as we are changed from our status from being an enemy of God to now being a child of God, God provides us grace running forward. In other words, as a child of God, when we do stumble, we need to remember that grace runs forward. That doesn't change our status as God's child, but instead we know that we have forgiveness. We know we have grace. But this grace is not... An excuse, as Paul will say, for us to say, I can do whatever I want because I just allow God's grace to work. No, this grace is given to us so that we might recognize our change of identity and that we might commit ourselves to walking in the light. That's what he, how he says it. The mark of someone who is a child of God walking in the light is that they are making a commitment they are inspired, they are motivated, they are giving themselves to walking in a manner that's pleasing to God. He says... Walking in the way of Jesus. They love God and they express the love for God by learning to live how Jesus lived. Information that we have now in the testimony of our Gospels, right? In our Bibles. And applying that to life. We know who are the children of light, the ones who are made right with God through faith because they strive to apply the words of Jesus to go from the head to the heart to their hands. And if the love of God is that white light, then imagine that you, the Jesus follower, the one who is the child of God, you are that prism. And that white light of God, as you let the light of God ignite your life, now becomes something that's translated in the various details, the various colors of your day-to-day -day living. That's how it works. We are reflecting prisms where the Holy Spirit of God shines in us and through us. That shining through us is what John will now describe in this text. He says, Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I'm writing you a new command. 
Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. And there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Living in love is the color that we bring to the world. I often say that the, the trouble is with Christianity, we want to moralize everything. We want everything black and white. I'm like, no, living in love is living in color. We don't go black and white. We go color. We have more depth and more variation and more, more, more perception and beauty to life because of the way of love. God loved us, and, and we love him back, and that love transforms our day-to-day -day living. It brings us to loving each other in our day-to-day. -day. This is God's love. We don't define what love is. We allow the love of God, which is defined for us and modeled for us in the way Jesus lived. We live that love. We bring what God has brought to us, and we share it with those that God assigns to us to love for their best. Love is not doing whatever you want, justifying whatever you want, accepting whatever you want so that you can feel good, so that you can be happy. No, love is accepting the truth of God, letting that shining in you, and living by those terms as defined by Him, which is what? Modeled by the way Jesus lived. question I have to ask then is what prevents us from loving others? I mean, that's the real question. I've accepted God's love, and I accepted his grace, and I'm so thankful for, for, as I've said, for Jesus. But I have to confess to you that I'm not loving all the time. Even the people that I say I love the most, in our day-to-day, -day, I don't act loving. A friend of mine was sharing a little bit of his own experience. He says, his wife needed him to get something for her because she was in need. It was not an unreasonable request. In fact, it was somewhat of a critical request. But he was watching the game, and he was sitting on the couch. And his inclination wasn't to help her. No, his inclination was to come up with excuses, to get mad, to say, come on, can you wait? This is the woman he says he loves with all his heart, the person that he loves the most in life. Yet in that moment, using the language of John, he acted as if he hated her. How is that? Why is that? What prevents the light of God that shines in us somehow not being able to shine in our day-to-day, -day, not being able to be transformed into the beautiful colors of the rainbow in our, in our decisions and our, our, our actions. What prevents that? Well, what prevents that is those things of darkness in us that we don't bring into the light. The parts that I'm, not, I'm ashamed of, the parts I'm deeply hurt by, the parts that I don't want to acknowledge and show. Sometimes we're not loving because we're overtired and physically unhealthy. Come on, let's just be honest. When you don't feel well, 
You're not so good at treating others, are you? When you're dead dog tired and you're driving home and you're living off caffeine, which has now made you edgy, not awake, and someone cuts you off, what happens? You don't say, I love you, my brother. <laughs> Why? Because you're tired and overworked and hyped up on caffeine. When you don't feel well, you're not so good at treating others well. When God bought your freedom, he bought all of you. I think this is powerful. When God bought your freedom, he bought all of you. He didn't just buy the good parts, the acceptable parts, the parts that you can be proud of. He bought the beauty and he bought the ugliness. He bought the competent person and he bought that wounded three-year-old. He bought the things that you can say, I'm so glad that I did this. And he bought the stuff that you say, I wish I'd never done that. I am so filled with regret. He bought all of it. And those parts of you that you try to protect. Those parts of you that you've developed practices and mechanisms, denials, overreactions, hyper-control, those things of you that are hypercritical and tough and whatever that you have in store to protect those wounded parts of you. He says, hey, would you mind just stepping aside and letting them come into the light and letting them have a voice before me and the community of faith that I brought you in. See, because when we come into the light, when we come into the light with our deepest hurts and our deepest joys and our deepest sorrows, when we come into the light and as we think about ourselves through the, through the continue of time, we come into the light with those parts of us that, that are crying and wounded and hurt and destroyed, and we bring them forward into the light of God, into his love. It gets, sets free those moments of darkness that then allows us to love others, to fulfill a calling, to be healed. Love is to be communicated in the vivid colors of day-to-day -day life. Let me share with you an example of an individual that had an impact of a man named David Briggs. That individual was his father, and his impact is measured in the deep colors of God's love expressed through his dad. Listen to this. He says, David Briggs offers a moving meditation on what he learned from his father's example. David's father was an ordinary man who lived an ordinary life, working at a screen printing company in New Haven, Connecticut. David was permanently shaped by his father's example of humble faith and faithfulness. David was permanently shaped by his father's example of living in the light, living in love. This is what David writes about his dad. He says, before I was old enough to go to school, he often took me into work with him on Saturdays. I watched him sweep the floor before he began, and soon I had that job. 
In the beginning, he was hired to sweep floors. And so even after he became president of the company or after he started to work on projects for these big famous clients, it was important to him to sweep the floors so that he would not lose sight of the dignity of all work. Faith was just a part of life. Some of the best memories I had from childhood were attending midweek or Sunday worship services or the adventure of walking together, that's David and his dad, down a long hill with snow up to my chest during a heavy snowstorm to be greeted by a surprise pastor on Sunday morning. He would not miss Sunday worship. And where there might have been self-pity, there was joy in his life, and still there was something more. I did not really pick up on it at first, but as the years went by, I noticed my father would not speak a bad word about others. At the dinner table, he talked about customers who defrauded him by asking for large amounts of work in advance and skipping out on payments. But there was never talk of revenge or fighting back. He just said he would no longer deal with them. For almost my entire time growing up, a lot of it during the 1960s when racial tensions boiled over in cities like New Haven, he delivered food once a month to the poor in the city, telling me when I came along to stay in the car while he walked up to the top floor of apartment complexes to make sure families received their groceries. In a letter to my father as he lay dying, I spoke of our walk to church during the snowstorm. But I told him the lesson he taught me about faith came from seeing you live your life. Here it is. You genuinely loved everyone. David writes, My father was born into poverty, lived a humble life, died in bleak, spare surroundings reserved for veterans with limited resources. He was a Christmas and Easter story combined, testifying that true happiness lies within us. So what do I want to do with the rest of my life? David says, he says, I want to be like my father. David wanted to be like his father who lived like Jesus, who showed us how to live like our father in heaven wants us to live. Live in the light. Walk in the light means accepting the light of God's love and being a reflector, a prism, communicating God's love by loving others as Jesus loved them in the small things of life, in the little decisions, in the acts of service, in the holding of the tongue, and seeking to be patient, and striving to see people as Jesus sees them, and giving to them what Jesus has given you so that they will be blessed as well. It means getting up off the couch while the game is in a critical moment in order to serve your wife. It means having the courage to forgive the wounds. It means doing what you will do for others, treating them as you would expect others to treat you. 
Walk in the light, live in the light, live in love. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this time that we can share, and I thank you for the simple message of the Apostle John. A simple message, yet so profound, and sometimes so hard, calling us to love, to walk as Jesus walked, to live in the light, to allow the light of God to shine in our life and to recognize that it's not about us and the, the work that we do. We're not to be flashlights, but we're to be reflectors, prisms that shine the love of God through our life in the rainbow of colors of loving others. Help us to learn this. Thank you for Jesus who makes the way. Thank you for Jesus who is the means by which the judge becomes the judge, the, the, the one who pays the price. Thank you for Jesus who gives us the love of God, the light of God through grace. Help us to walk in him. It's his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.